Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. And I'm Sarah Watt. And this month we are joined by a very special guest, the fourth time, the incredible filmmaking and film talking, Doug Dilliman. Woo! Hello. Uh, I'm a last minute uh, ring-in, so hopefully I can live up to the uh, hype and live up to the quality of the franchise. I think we're spending a lot of time talking about franchise this week, aren't we? This is exactly what we're talking about. We are talking this month, team, about Scream vs. Scream. Mm. Uh, and it's great to have you here. Team, one of us is the killer, so you'll need to wait till the end to find out who or it is. Or two of us. Or true. <laughs> <laughs> In a game of Mafia, if that was the case, you know Mafia? Yep. Uh, the two killers would gang up quite openly on the one person left. So, yeah. so I don't know. I don't know. We shall see. I'm just saying you've come to the house of two of us. <laughs> I, don't, I don't favor your odds. <laughs> I'm at uh, Doug and Sarah's house, um, dear listeners, right now, enjoying a lovely coffee. Sadly, William is not with us this month. He is taking a break, so wishing him the best. And we'll hopefully have him back next time when we talk about whatever it is we talk about in a month's time. On the topic of months, at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films each month, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. As I've already said, this month we are discussing Scream, which was released back in 1996, which is, what, 25 years ago? Mm, 26 amazing. years ago. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't feel that long. It's a long time. And Scream! The same named film, which came out in 2022, the start of this year. Well, the connection being that they have the same name, they're from the same universe, uh, and yeah, I'm sure many more connections that we can that we can make. Maybe <laughs> yes. some more subtle than those. <laughs> uh, please be warned that we will be spoiling each film in great detail, and I and I think it's fair to say these films uh, have a lot of spoilers, mm. um, and yeah. I and I think also I'm. I'm potentially going to spoil some stuff in Scream 2, Scream 3. And Scream 4. And Scream 4. I and think that's got to be fair enough, right? You're either yeah. here for the franchise, or you need to pause it now, go away, watch the ones you want to watch, and then come back to us. And potentially watch a helpful explainer YouTube video to fill in the gaps on the ones you haven't seen, because it is simultaneously recreating itself, but also additive through each installment. Mm. Absolutely, and it's building to a lore of... Well, Sydney Prescott, and we can talk soon about what what is added in this in these films, um, as well as that they are they're effectively whodunits. And so once you know who the killer or killers are, you you don't lose. You know, they're still fun to rewatch, but mm. there's a surprise there that's worth pausing this episode for and going and experiencing for yourself, and then coming back at a future date. Right. Well, let's start with. Well, should I start with Scream 1996? Yeah, tell us what it, the yeah. yeah hand yeah. it over. So Scream 1996 is uh, directed by Wes Craven. Uh, it's written by Kevin uh, Kevin Williamson. Williamson, and it's a, a love letter to the slasher genre, which arguably started with Psycho, uh, was sort of codified with Halloween, James, uh, John Carpenter's Halloween, and then through the 80s we had a slew of slasher movies that mm. Scream pulls from and references both directly and indirectly. It follows the character of Sydney Prescott, played by Neve Campbell, a young woman in high school with a tragic past. She's recently lost her mother, um, and she is sort of dealing with the grief of that whilst simultaneously dealing with her friends and, and school teachers and people around her being stabbed to death by a masked killer. Ghostface uh, is the killer of the series. And, and that's kind of the premise. And we get to know the different characters, mm. uh, the different people that could or could not be the killer. And they have to navigate this journey, not just through their own wiles, but through knowing the rules of scary movies. Nicely right. done, yes. Scream 1996. Doug, tell us about Scream 2022. 
Ah, well, Scream 2022 uh, is a story about set in Woodsboro where a group of high school friends are picked off one by one by a knife-wielding killer wearing a ghost-faced mask who uses a voice <laughs> modulator to taunt them with questions focused on their knowledge of scary movies. As the body count mounts, will Nev Campbell's Sidney Prescott, Courtney Cox's Gail Weathers, and David Arquette's Dewey Riley be able to stop an all-out massacre during a third-act party at the home of Skeet Ulrich's Billy Loomis? <laughs> oh, and also this takes place 25 years after the original and mostly follows an entirely new group of high schoolers. And it's the fifth <laughs> film in the series, and the first not filmed by Wes Craven. Instead, it's by the um, filmmaking team Radio Silence, who shot to prominence with uh, Samara Weaving's starring horror film Ready or Not. So, uh, once again, it relies... Um, on the knowledge of horror movies, but this positions itself both in the world of requel and elevated horror, which is common today and which we can discuss as we get on how successful it is in dealing with those concepts. Excellent. I think that's one of the fun things of this film is that mm. each iteration doesn't just rest on its laurels in terms of what the first one did. Mm. They try and comment on what it means to be a sequel, Absolutely. what it means to be a trilogy, quote-unquote, closer, what it means to be a reboot, and then what it means to be what they coin in this film, a requel. Yes, mm. and also um, the element that's introduced in Scream 2 is that in the universe of Scream, there are movies based about the killings in Scream called Stab. And so I, I believe the second movie happens at the Stab, begins at the Stab premiere. Mm. Uh, and then uh, by the time we get to Scream 2022, we're up to Stab 8, which is a... Um, and this is definitely, turn off now if you haven't seen Scream 2022, because this is the best thing about it, is the um, onboarding of the toxic fandom uh, related to other eighth installments in series that change uh, details about the franchise that upset the hardcore fans' true beliefs. Mm. And um, and that was the one of the most delightful things about this film is, um, taking toxic fandom and punching it in the face. <laughs> For me, one of the most delightful things about the whole Scream franchise, uh, and particularly right from the get-go with number one, is how meta it was. And I remember how groundbreaking that was in 1996, that the, here was a horror film that did that broke so many things. For starters, probably the most famous person in our world at that time was Drew Barrymore. And... She's, and she was all over the posters. She was yeah. like, so right. she is the poster. It's good. She's yeah, yeah, yeah. the heroine of this movie. How fabulous! And they kill her off at the very beginning. And you, yeah. and that at that moment, you knew this is going to be something completely different. And then, of course, you've got good old um, Randy, the video store worker, who's the one who knows all of the horror genre in and out. And everything is so meta. And I absolutely love. And you've touched on this, Doug. The fact that two, three, four, and now Scream 5, if we want to call it that just for argument's sake, is meta upon meta upon meta and so self-referential. I, In a way that, if I remember rightly, the Final Destination movies, not so much. Mm. I liked Final Destination enormously, but it took, if I remember correctly, it's basically how many new ways are there to skin a cat, right? Mm. And so it's, it's less self-referential. This stuff is wordy and clever and and part of the tricksiness as well, isn't it? Now, did you see it in the cinema when it came out? Yes. Yeah. Now, we've already established that you couldn't see Kill Bill in the cinema. Yeah, I was, so ten, I guess, I was 10 years old yeah, when, uh, when Scream, Scream came, came out. out. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I, 
it's one of the all-time great theatrical screenings for me. Mm. I saw it opening weekend with a crowd in Houston, Texas. Um, uh, African-American, probably about 70-80%, which t- tended to famously be very vocal during scre- screenings, which can go either way. But during... Um, yeah, when it when it goes off for a movie like this, it's just an incredible ride. And it was so thrilling um, to have a movie that worked on all the levels. It was because meta entertainment wasn't really as common in pop culture. No. I mean, not, now most of our entertainment is meta, you mm. know. But this just, was really new. Yeah, yeah. This, this was really groundbreaking. And um, so to have somebody like um, Wes Craven, who at that point already had Last House on the Left and Hell's Have Eyes and Nightmare on Elm Street under his belt, you knew you were getting a really competent, well-done horror film, but Mm. you didn't know how kind of non-nod, wink-wink to the audience it's going to be. And, you know, this kind of trivia question of who's the killer in Friday the 13th? Oh, everyone knows it's Jason. Well, actually, you know, and, and these sorts of things. And also just the undercutting some of the other tropes, like one of the consistent things I love about this series is how often Ghostface like brains himself or slips on the floor, him or herself, you know, depending on the film. And, you know, is not the unstoppable Hulk of like Jason Voorhees. Yes. You know, he's it's, not it's the a, unkillable yeah, necessarily. Yeah. yeah. There's no other there's no other horror film that has this gimmick in it that I can think of where you don't know who the killer is consistently. Like Ghostface as a as an image is, yeah. is quite it's scary. Like yes. it's a it's a costume. Yeah. It's a two dollar shop costume look, but the way that they must pad it or they add the they light it or the things that they do. And mm. I know the mask has changed slightly over time. Um it's scary, but it's it's this great conceit of like, oh and then it's this person. And you like yes you're right, the, the fallible and slips over, <laughs> but also sometimes un Un- realistic strength for that, yes. that person's frame. And, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's a weird mix of Scooby-Doo almost. You yeah, know? yeah. Or it's Scooby a different Doo, mystery true. every time, but it is that kind of... Scooby-Doo's a great connection. I had a thought yeah. of that. Back to Drew Barrymore, you know that she was cast as the Nev Campbell character. Ah. And she said to the producers, I think she's a producer on the film as well, or, right. or an executive producer or some sort of connection. She said, look, I actually want to play the girl who dies at the start because I think that would be the most fun I would have. Oh, that's interesting. I will set up expectations and then it will, it will completely, you know, in terms of the movie, yeah. me being a producer and making the best film, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I feel like I'll just have a great time doing that scene and then I will be off the, and off the project. And it's a callback to um, Psycho as well, which was famously marketed off Janet Lee, which, spoilers for Psycho, if you haven't got around to watching it in the last she 16 years. She doesn't make it very far through the <laughs> yeah. film. Yeah. Well, she makes it halfway through, right? Well, yeah, she, but I she's mean, the she's first not, body. She's not yeah. the final girl, you know. This is true. And Drew Barrymore is not the final girl. I think that's fascinating, Jeremy, that you say that, because in a way then... Drew Barrymore can take a heck of a lot of credit for part of the subversion that made Scream so shocking and so incredibly clever. So it becomes not just about chitter chatter, mm. about don't go down to the basement on your own, etc. But it is about your you, viewers. You do not know what is coming here. If we have killed off a Hollywood star at the beginning, then all bets are off. Mm. And this is where the big spoiler comes, readers, listeners, watchers, of course, um, that there are two killers in Scream. Now, in a way. I, I, in a way, it felt a little bit like, well, hang on a second, you've made yourself, you've made it a bit easier for yourself by doing that. Because of course you can operate with a killer who's upstairs in the attic and another one who's outside the front door. Um, but also, I don't think that would really ever been done before. And so how incredibly clever and additionally frightening, because as you say, 
all we're looking at is the ghost face mask and the black robe it literally could be anybody that you know and that is absolutely the most petrifying thing that's that's the thing about Scream that always impresses me, bar one film, which we can talk about in the series, uh, which is the, the balance between the meta and the kind of comedic elements or the ha, nose-tapping yeah. elements, mm. and it genuinely being a scary movie yes. with suspense and stakes and characters you care about. Yes, and that there's not many movies the violence that, as well, which is very confrontational. Except for Scream 3. Okay, which I... Have, so I've only seen Scream 1, 2, and 5. Well, let's, let's do it, because I'm keen to do this, and then we can talk about Scream okay. 3. So... Scream 1, and maybe get, should we do, th- uh, just whether you've seen it in, in five-star review. Sarah, what? Definitely saw Scream 1. Um, I don't think I was into rating at the time, but I probably would have gone five stars because I wouldn't have thought of anything that I needed differently. Are you going to go round ones, twos, or shall I just yeah. say what else I've seen? Uh, uh, let's, let's keep going. Scream 2. I know that I definitely saw Scream 2, and I thought, holy mackerel, this is clever because now they're making a movie of it. But I will just take this opportunity to say, by Scream 2, I knew that horror films uh, were something that I was going to have to just... I was just going to have to work really hard to endure them. And I remember my friend Amanda and I sitting in the cinema somewhere in Auckland. It could have been at the St. James. I remember specifically we had our knees up under our chins, and I said to Amanda... Say to yourself quietly, I'm the boom operator, I'm the boom operator. Because if you can suddenly bring yourself out of what's happening on screen and imagine that you're on the set holding the boom, suddenly it diffuses all of the scary parts. And so I literally remember Amanda and me in particularly frightening parts of Scream 2 going, well, you know, like, you know, uh, the suspense and building up and the tension and that going, I'm the boom operator. I'm the boom <laughs> operator under our breaths I while mean, we were watching. I mean, the boom operator doesn't get murdered, but definitely the cameraman gets murdered in some of the movies. But so well, I don't know how helpful yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but it was that opportunity to withdraw, you know, yeah, to yeah, pull yeah. yourself back yeah. and to make it so, oh, suddenly I'm watching something artificial. I can handle mm-hmm. this. It isn't real. Don't remember if I saw three... I don't think I did see four. I will have lost interest by the time that came out. And of course, I've seen the most recent. Nice. Doug, what are your thoughts on... Take us through the five films. Okay, well, I, uh, coincidentally, similar journey with Sarah. So I, I saw the first one when it came out, loved it. Uh, and I might have revisited it once or twice in the intervening years. Revisited it for this, and I wound up more at a three and a half level. I, th- I think it is, as you alluded to, you know, once you know the mystery of it. Um, a combination of that and some of the elements that haven't aged so well. Uh, I like think, what sort of things? I think it just it feels quite '90s. It feels a bit wooden in its filmmaking at points, and that's actually something that, um, looking at the new movie, I think actually the Radio Silence filmmakers are really strong in a lot of their staging of some of the moments. Right. Um, the actual drama falls a little flat for me, but also I think there's. A growing nuance around uh, understanding how trauma actually affects people and ripples through things mm. in that it feels a, a little glib and bullshitty in the original that wouldn't have mattered at the time. But I think that's one of the hallmarks of uh, this elevated horror thing is you talk about the hereditaries and the Babadooks and yeah, the, you know, those, fit, which, yeah, which get Mids- quite Midsummer. literally yeah. name yeah. dropped in it. They all really foreground characters actual trauma not just in a i went through this and this is a macguffin for bringing forward the plot but it's actually rippling through the performances yeah in a way that i really actually think only um david arquette really fully taps into in this 2022 
film, but certainly in the 1996 one, just really kind of only ripples at a surface level. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, and so that so that's it, it's probably unfair. And I think if I just discovered it fresh in 2022 and had never watched it, I think probably the clever elements would have overweighed it. So I, I would still say it'd be perfectly fair for a first time viewer to go rave over it rave over um, scream one. one yeah yeah and scream two i haven't seen since like 99 or 2000 i still distinctly remember that opening kill in the at the movie opening Jay in the bathroom yeah is it Jay? i thought it was a guy that gets he, killed he is the well, well, body and, and her boyfriend gets killed up on the stage yeah Oh, see, and the audience thinks it's part of the the film. Part, yeah, it's brilliant. Oh, right. Okay, it's so clear. Um, that that part I don't even remember. All I remember is the kind of you know, the voice, which is a Friday the Thirteenth reference, I think, and then the knife coming through the bathroom stall. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's all I remember. I remember it being pretty good. Um, and then before we went to see this, we watched a ten-minute YouTube recap of the four films, which, which is kind super of, useful, by the way. Yeah. yeah. I'm just I'm just <laughs> setting up because I'm like. I don't even know which characters have made it this far anymore, which didn't, which I died, I'd forgotten about. And that was very good. It didn't leave me with a strong desire to see Scream 3 or Scream 4. I got the impression that Scream 4 was probably the one to re- to seek out if I were to seek out one. Um, and then, yeah, it takes me to Scream 5, which um, on a review I gave Scream 3 and a half stars, 1996, and I gave this one three stars, um, which is still mildly positive. I think the... The chase scenes and the, all the mechanics of it are really great. I just thought the um, the actual melodrama of it and some of the, even the music choices and stuff feel trapped in this sort of... It's not... It, I'm not sure if it's quotation marks when they have this kind of emo music or if it's these oldsters being like, this must be what the kids are like today or something mm-hmm. between that. Mm, we'll nice. talk about what I thought of five when we get back. So, yeah, Jeremy. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, what's your journey? Take us on your journey. Well, I don't remember when I first saw Scream. It wasn't. When, I remember it being around when I was, uh, you know, 11, 12 years old, and people would watch it at parties and yeah. things. But I wasn't yeah. really allowed to watch horror movies, and I don't think I would have really enjoyed it uh, as a kid. I might have, but I, I must have come to the Scream franchise in my sort of adult years or my teenage, uh, my. Yeah university years i can't remember but i remember watching them and really enjoying the first one and and the second and third one um third one we'll talk about uh and then when the fourth one came out i was so excited and i loved every minute of it because it was the first one i'd actually got to watch and i was really satisfied with the way they dealt with the subject matter Mm. um and so i was very excited about this one and i rewatched the four films at the end of last year in preparation for this fifth one good for you yeah i had a great time um so first one i absolutely love it's in my top 50 movies of all time it's it's for all the for all of the things you said, I totally agree. It's yeah. it's very nineties, but it's I, of its time. But I love it because of that now, because mm. it's it's twenty five years ago, and we don't have movies mm. like that anymore. And they, it's very much of its era. I think there's that and mm. Clueless, um, and there's a few mm. other ones as well that really, I guess, typify that type that time where there was a lot of high school nineties mm. movies that were sort of the bane of cinema for a while, but mm. have since. Mm-hmm. They don't get made anymore. I think it's, that also may just be an age gap where 80s stuff really hits that nostalgia button for me in a way that 90s stuff doesn't quite because I, maybe I still feel like I'm living through <laughs> Yeah, true. That's pretty fair because yeah, I would have yeah. been... That, I'm, I'm a 90s kid. Like That's, yeah, my, yeah. that's my childhood. Um, second one is great. I think they did a really good job. It's got some really interesting things in there around opera and, and Sydney's 
studying to be an actor at university, one of the few films that doesn't take place in Hillsborough. Mm. Hillsborough? Hillsborough. That's where I live. Woodsboro. I live in Hillsborough. Yeah, yeah. Woodsboro. Yeah. Um, One of the the two movies that that don't take place, which I've seen a, a critique of this well, the moving forward of the series that they need to take it out of Woodsboro is kind of where it needs to go again. Um, but yeah, all about sequels and they have a discussion in film class about the greatest sequels and it's a, it's a good time. Mm. The third movie, I love the concept of the third film, which is it takes place on the set of Stab 3. Mm. Yeah. And the, the cast of characters, Neve Campbell, you know, Gail Weathers, oh, sorry, Sydney Prescott, Gail Weathers and Dewey, yeah. they end up having to fight Ghostface alongside their actor counterparts. Mm. So you've got Parker Posey playing the Gail Weathers character and then kind of having this rivalry and, and Parker Posey's character is attracted to Dewey. So it's just this wonderful silliness. Is that... Tori Spelling in that one? I think she's... Because she's referenced in the first film. In the first film, somebody, could yes. be Neve Campbell, says, knowing my luck, they'll make a film and they'll cast Tori Spelling I as I think she's me. in the second one. Right, oh right, She's okay. in the second one. And the second one's really clever... In that, I realised this when I was watching it last year, it has clips of the movie throughout. Mm. And it has um, interviews with um, Lev Schreiber's character, who you yes. think is a potential... He, you know, He's the one that potentially murdered Sydney's mother, yes. but gets out of prison yes. because they prove it's the two killers from the first film. And then he's a suspect through most of the movie. Yeah. And he ends up saving Sydney at the end of the day. And it's quite a sort of a moment of redemption. But you get key... Um, so, spoiler alert, the murderer and the second one, the kind of key murderer, there's, a, there's one person helping her, is Billy Loomis's mother. Yes. Which is a wonderful callback to what Friday they read. Friday the 13th uh, well. Friday the 13th, Jason, and of course the opening of the first movie. And Vertigo. Uh, not Vertigo. Um, Psycho. Yeah. Uh, yes, but... Wait, I'm, wait. Psycho is the mother, but it's... Actually. She's dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, that's it's right. It's the other way around. Okay, whatever. But yeah, um, yeah. The, the key thing about... And she even looks like the Friday the 13th mother mm. and things... The key thing about that movie is that you don't you don't know. There's no mention of Billy Loomis, yeah, and there's no mention of his mother um, for the whole movie, and it's a reveal at the end. And the only reason that reveal works is because you have got the exposition through the clips of the movie of Scream, the in, stab, you mean? the stab yeah. in film movie, and so you think it's this joke. But every moment of that being presented as a kind of joke scene, Tori Spelling is in that, right? Is exposition around Billy Loomis and his mother. So that justifies what would otherwise be one of those really annoying murder mysteries where it turns out that it's the gardener who turned up in Act 5. And you're like, wait, what? It's really clever. Ah. And I didn't realise that until I was watching it last time because I was like, why do they keep showing this movie in this? But beyond the opening That is clever. And it works as the opening conceit and then it works to... And Wes Craven directed 2 and 3 and 4. And 4. Right. Okay, nice. Um, Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm getting getting off track. So number 3... Yeah, the idea is that they're on the set, and um, and so the conceit of it is great. It's yes. a great progression. Yeah, know. I'd like that. But the film is marred, in, you know, as, as so often it is, with messy production. Mm. One of the key influences or, or things that affected it was the Columbine Massacre and how mm. they needed to de-sense it. They needed to bring the violence right down, and they yeah. needed to make it more jokesy. I think mm. even Harvey Weinstein was behind the, the mm. move. And I think probably with the state of the nation, probably the right move, but they mm. should have just held off and made making the movie. And so what you get is a messy movie. It, it, it's goofy. It's tonally not hitting the mark like the other films. Kevin Williamson's whole career was actually sort of hit a speed bump because of that, because his feature debut was a film called Killing Mrs. Tingle about uh, a high school teacher and some kids who want to take revenge on her. And then mm. like 
Um, and then as it was leading up, it was like, so they wound up retitling it, teaching Mrs. Tingle, and mm. wound up pulling things back and stuff to try to make it work, and it flopped at the box office. And yeah, so it's interesting, the whole effect also, he did moral panics around that time had. It's interesting you say about Kim Williamson because I didn't know that, but he also it's the only film he didn't write. He didn't write the third film. Oh, okay. And it shows these, and I think his idea was not taken seriously, or I don't know. Right. So yeah, I, it's, it's a still a messy movie. I still love the conceit. It's the only film with one killer. Um, when you clearly see the, the fingerprints all over it, that there's supposed to be two right. killers. Um, the the. Emily Mortimer is playing the Neve Campbell character in the movie. Yeah, oh, wow. she's clearly supposed to be the other killer, which makes so much sense. What a cool idea that Neve Campbell would face off her with her, um, right. with her counterpart. Yes, and they, I think the, the script leaked, and so they had to change the ending. And uh, it just, it's a messy, 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 messy yeah. situation. Um, but yeah, anyways, fourth one I loved. Uh, you know, the, do you know the whole the whole twist of the fourth one? Uh, I we watched the thing, but I can't remember. So the twist with the fourth one is, what's her name? Emma Rom- Emma Roberts plays Nev Campbell's younger cousin, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the Colkin brothers uh, plays the Randy version of Randy. Yep. The two surviving kids from the first movie archetypes, right. and it turns out that they're the two murderers. Yes. And that actually they're trying to do it to get their own attention and story. And and also and there's a movie being made, and it turns out, or is this number three, where it turns out that Nev Campbell's she had a brother. Yeah, that's the third one. Right. Okay. It's a real stretch. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, a real stretch. Yeah. But yeah. Anyways, bring us to number five. I, I, I loved number five. I really liked bringing in the um, Billy Loomis lore with, uh, what's her name? Her name's Sam Carpenter in the film, yes. which is a great Now, she's your friend title. from In the Heights. She's in In the Heights. Lemon Vanessa from In the Heights. What's her name? Melissa Barria. Barada. Yes. yes. Um, and I just thought, in terms of like nuance, Doug, you're talking about nuance and awareness of trauma. I think as well, awareness of uh, people with dealing with schizophrenia and how so often they mm. are painted as the psychopaths of mm. these films and how wonderful it was to see Ali dealing with this, dealing with these visions of Billy I, Loomis. I will just and, say, I, th- I you know, not in a politically correct way, just in a hmm kind of way, the thing that I pondered on was effectively Billy Loomis is a murderer from number one so effectively he is a serial killer he is a bad person and now he's sort of being the angel on his daughter's shoulder and saying come on now I'm with you I'll support you go ahead and do it but she is not being posited as um, a psycho killer she's our heroine so we need her to live and I found that a little bit I wouldn't say potentially distasteful because I'm not sure I got quite as far as that but it's awkward. Do you know what I mean? Well, I'm interested in general, actually, because uh, uh, you're somebody who often finds films in this genre distasteful or morally aberrant or other things. And so I'm, I, I'm curious, generally, if you don't feel that way about the whole series or if it's I just like of, if the entertainment of it yeah, look, makes up for the no I don't think it's the hacker. no it's not the entertainment of it that mitigates it for me but it is the meta-ness it is if, if something can be clever and it can be doing a bit of a commentary and it can be talking a bit about sequels versus requels versus reboots etc I find that sort of rhetoric really interesting or that dialogue interesting and I find subversion of tropes really interesting like let's get rid of Drew Barrymore at the beginning but I have to say you're, you touched on this, Doug, when you said that back in 96, 
they didn't take very seriously at all the fact that Sidney Prescott's mother had been raped and murdered. And they were just like, don't you think you need to move on, blah, blah. And it was, it was a plot, um, it was something to propel the plot. Now we're in 2022. Um, there did seem to be a heck of a lot more talk around trauma, and that was really interesting. Mm. I did think at the very beginning when that poor girl in the purple top, who of course is the protagonist's little sister, and survives, yeah, which is another which is nice great, subversion. Great, yeah, yeah. really, really thought she was the murderer because well, of Well, totally thought she was going to die at the beginning. And I did find... I found the stalking and killing of her very, very, very uncomfortable and distasteful. And I know that it's how horror movies go. Mm. And so, in a way, for her not to die, I was quite relieved. Because if she had just been slaughtered at the beginning... Because the slaughter of Drew Barrymore, and particularly when she's taken outside and then um, strung up, it is grotesque. It is. It's impressive. It's really... Uh, it goes visceral. there. It it's goes visceral. there. And nowadays, um, I mean, that's just not my genre at all, not my wheelhouse. And so that's why I need it to be restrained or clever or something or, or a parody mm. or something like that in order to not just feel this is gratuitously horrible, you know? See, I love the violence. I mean, I don't love violence, really, but I love the commitment to the genre. And I think when the films have, like I said, three have tried to... Have its cake and eat it. Have its cake and eat it too. In terms of, let's let's be this horror movie, but pull it back a bit. It, it, there's something yeah. that doesn't work in the DNA of it. I do think mm. this film did step over into an, a, another edge, which was at the end when Sam gives into her full, you know, the daughter of Billy Loomisness, and she stabs. She really stabs a lot yeah, of times yeah. one of the murderers. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. This is this film is saying something about. Yeah where she where she is at mm. um but i i love that because i think the alternative is and i've said this before tarantino talks about it you know when the when our protagonists decide to to take the upper ground at the final moment of the movie and yep. not kill the person that's gone around killing everyone i'm like just kill the murderer yeah like we want to see them get shot in the face like that's the tension that's built up over this time i don't want to see either of those two people survive the movie because our, our protagonist has taken mercy on them yeah just killed about 10 people we care about yeah um so i i, I think it's interesting and I, I i think it's interesting you ask you ask as well doug about in terms of sarah your connection to the genre and whether mm. it is how much of it is whether it's just the visceralness of it i don't know oh and and also though i mean doug knows that i've always had um a bugbear about the depiction of mental illness in horror films and um, back in the olden days when I didn't didn't know so well, um, I, I wouldn't have noticed so much. But but in more recent renderings of um, Halloween and, and whatnot, you know, I am utterly fed up with it is a trope um, and it's not a groundless trope, but I'm utterly fed up with somebody having to be psychotic or I hate when they go insane because insane is a legal term, not a not a psychological term, but never mind not a medical term, but anyway, um, you know, I, I hate that having to be, oh, well, that person acted that way because they are, they're just crazy. Well, that's, that's the yeah. psycho thing, right, as well, because that's someone who's either transgender or, or you know, gender fluid or something, he enjoys dressing in his mother's clothes, and that becomes the... Absolutely. That becomes the explanation for why he's done all these horrible but even, things. But it's like even that is, like, and, actually, like, kind. they're actually trying to get some more of a narrative than just... He's crazy. Yeah. Like, or weird. And, or, yeah, or, or weird. insane. You know? Or gay. You know, sometimes yeah. it's the gay character who's yeah. the killer. And, and, yeah. I think, uh, that, I think like, but, you yeah. know, the characterization. There's a lot of different flavors of 
the distasteful in this. I is what I'm trying to say is that some of them are specifically gross to us from a contemporary perspective because they're about gay or transgender, and others are just kind of they don't get beyond. He did it because he's crazy. That's true. But what I'm saying is perhaps what mitigates it in this one is that things are based on trauma. Mm. And so actually, Billy Loomis was traumatized in some way, which is why he did what he did. I can't speak for his mate, the um, the, uh, the other Michael bloke. Rappaport. Yeah. No, it's not Michael Rappaport. Um, oh, no, it's the guy that looks like Michael Matthew, Rappaport. Matthew Lillard. That's right, yeah. Yeah. I don't Matthew think Lillard? He does Matthew look Lillard, like yeah. Rappaport. But um, yeah, Ma- yeah, Matthew Lillard. I can't speak for why he got involved other than peer pressure. Well, not they- very interested in peer pressure. Well, there's that whole theory that he's gay, right? There's that, um, there's a whole oh, lot of sub things with his, which I think the two actors added as a subtext. Like, there's a lot of improvisation that happened. Right. In that first movie, he gets hit with a phone and he goes, You hit me with a phone, which oh, was just yeah, a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Matthew Lillard improvised. And right. Yeah. I watched an interview with the actors from earlier this year and, and they they were saying how much they, they loved that play of what is their relationship? Yeah. What is his motivation? Because it is unclear, Matthew yeah. Lillard's motivation. So actually, if you want to get super psychological, the stuff of this that does interest me is the psychological, and it's around things like the, the there's a, 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 a mental disorder called folie à deux, which is French for madness in two people. And traditionally, it happens, uh, it's, it's your... your um, Myra Hindley and, and Ian Brady in the UK, the couple who, who murdered a whole lot of children and buried them in the moors. It's your heavenly creatures scenario. Mm. So Melanie Linsky and Kate Winslet, mm. these two young girls in Christchurch, developed an, uh, an unnatural attachment and intimacy, um, and they fueled one another to then go ahead and commit this crime. So it's interesting with the, the two men because um, Hitchcock's film Rope, uh, is um, yeah, true. Is, is two men, which is based on the Leopold and Loeb murder. Exactly, and Leopold and Loeb were actual people in America. They were uh, actual boys um, with a, a very strong attachment who then murdered um, one of their sets of parents, mm. I believe. So that is interesting. Mm. So in a way, one of the red herrings for me in Scream Five is that you've got the twins. So you've got the girl who plays Thaisa mm-hmm. in um, Yellow Jackets, um, <laughs> Jasmine Savoy Brown, uh, and and her twin brother. Now that is a perfect opportunity for a, a folie à deux kind of uh, connection that makes them commit crimes together because they are attached by by blood, by mm. you know relation. Um, that's why you get scenarios like. Uh, oh, well, I won't spoil it. Um, no, okay. I was going to mention a film that's actually a bit too current, but when you have. Um, uh, Two lovers who who commit a crime together. That's what we're talking about. That is interesting to me. That is in the DNA of what makes the formula of Scream work. Yeah. And so mm. I guess to go back to this, the kind of going through the five movies, in my mind, you know, with varying degrees of quality and, and kind of hitting the mark, four of the five Scream films work. Yes. Mm. They, they really work. And, and that third film kind of it, it almost works it just gets things off kilter so yeah. they don't ha- like i love that that explanation they don't have two killers and so things don't make sense as much because yeah. there's a scene where the killer gets he he kind of um uh, implicates himself to the police through Ghostface, and I'm like, why? That doesn't make sense. Whereas mm. when there's two people, you can kind of give it a bit of grace with some of the silliness. But maybe by the time they got to the third, they thought everybody knows there are two killers, where so we're going to subvert it by only giving them one. Yeah, maybe it's just not very successful. And mm. you know, so I guess one of the cool things that I really enjoyed about four and five is that they have taken risks mm. and they've been able to generally pull them off. And um, this fifth one, I I've, I was like, where are they going to go with this in terms of the commentary on films mm. and i thought the 
the, the dual thing, and you alluded to it before, Doug, but the dual thing of this idea of the requel, how mm. you, you know, the, the Force Awakens is the perfect example, and mm. you remake a movie, but you treat it like a sequel, and mm. you kind of, it's, it hits the nostalgia, nostalgia kind of buttons. T- buttons. Yeah. And then this other thing of the fan base mm. uh, taking something so seriously. And I think what a great, what a great uh, motivation for our murderers that they're so frustrated with what they're getting, that they're going to create their <laughs> own, their own screen fodder so that there can be a movie yeah, yeah. made. And, and of course, the meta-ness of it is that we, especially Doug and me who saw them the original back in 96, I was desperate to see this latest one for nostalgia. I mm. wanted to see Courtney Cox. Uh, may I say, I, I, it did occur to me, and I hope she's not listening, that um, Courtney Cox uh, certainly looks as though she too has been under the knife. We had that in Scream 4. I think she's, um, she's even publicly said that she's stopped with Botox, but she still has her facelift and things. Sure. But she actually looks, I think, more. Um, she has more facial expression in this one than she did in the fourth right. one, where she was still. But I wanted to see Nev Campbell again, and I wanted to see Dewey. And of course, they mm. kill Dewey. That is a spoiler. They kill Dewey, and, and we're used to our main characters or our main main characters making it through, right? So actually, good on them. And that's a really emotionally interesting moment of the film, actually, when you know, like. Um, the motor, the killers are actually these fans of it, and you kind of understand that in retrospect. This idea that they, you know, it'd be it'd be like stepping into um, Star Wars and getting to kill Han Solo with a lightsaber or something. Well, it's you Mark know? David and, Chapman killing John Lennon. He was he didn't hate John Lennon or John Lennon's music. He was a crazed fan, mm. you know. So in a way, they don't yeah. care that they're killing Dewey. Is it Dewey Cox? What's his name? I don't know if we know his last name. No, Dewey Cox that's from some other... um, That's Walk Hard. Yeah, Um, Dewey Riley. They don't care that they're killing Detective Dewey Riley um, because they're just sort of inserting themselves, I suppose, into the control of this narrative. That whole scene is incredible, that sequence, because, you know... In the hospital? Yeah, 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 that's one of the ones I'm talking about with (laughs) the kind of the filmmaker's control of set pieces. That and also the um, killing at the home... Of the um, policewoman's son. Oh, that's incredible. Okay, so let's talk about... Can we talk about the hospital and then we'll talk about that one? Yeah, yeah. So with the hospital, um, it's, it's you know, there's just the shots of the girl. You know, she we know she's had body trauma and she's... Yeah. The, the pain of her, like, having to wheel herself. Yes, yes, yeah. and, yes. And also we know that Dewey... Like, he's he's been in those situations so many times. He's been stabbed and punched and he's yeah. almost died so many times. It, it, was, it was quite a great um, payoff to that that situation and and you know we know the double tap you've got to go back and you've got to make sure it's he's dead and mm. that was it was such a well and also that we know that the other characters were coming in the car and there's mm. just there's a lot of pieces that are really really well put together mm. and That's, it's devastating because for a minute there you think he's going to be okay and then he isn't flipping okay because mindy madison or whatever her name is maddie mikey madison who is playing ghost Ghostface? Which in again, that, like, in that the scene. fight they're having. I mean, how is well, that, was that what... young woman getting overpowered by this and huge? So, guy? You know, when my realistic mind is watching, I'm like, well, this has got to be a uh, this has got to be a burly man under there because yeah. because it's got to be. And then when you learn later that actually it was her, it's like, hang on, just a second. That's yeah. not very mm. realistic. Yeah. Can we talk casting just quickly? Because Jack Quaid, who um, listeners will recognize from the boys and he's dennis quaid's son Mm. he has a big presence in this movie now technically he comes in just as the very very nice boyfriend of the protagonist um 
and Sam Carpenter. I love how they always have character <laughs> yeah, names yeah. that well, relate Wiz. to. Yeah, Wiz I love, is another character. Love all that well. sort of thing. Um, um, yeah. Anyway, sorry. So he comes in as the boyfriend, but he's a very big character and a big personality, Jack Quaid. And then, of course, the film does that tricky thing where it accuses everybody and then exonerates everybody. So mm. you're back to square one. So mm. you're kind of like, well, you can't really be thinking, oh, wait a second, it might be so-and-so. And he's they... introduced He's introduced outside of Woodsboro. Yes. So you, he already seems like he's, he's innocent. That's right. And the fact that he then does, oh, I've never seen any of these before. Although he gives it away in the very early scene where they're around it... Um, where, where they're congregating at, as, as at the twins' house. Mm. And the twins inexplicably are the daughter of, or the niece, or the, yeah. you know, of yeah. uh, Randy's niece and nephew. Anyway, he says something like, oh, but isn't it the blah and the blah? And nobody picks up on the fact that actually, technically, he, he he's not meant to know. But then he pretends, isn't he? He says, I'm watching all of the films on Netflix at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Love all the references to Netflix. Anyway. He's also so, watching a YouTube um thing later that's listing all the problems with stab eight yeah and, you know, it's like and it's clearly like this whole youtube channel of angered fans going yeah. on about all the things that gets wrong and it's quite funny that the clip is like a silver masked ghost face holding a flamethrower i get i guess the point that i'm sort of laboring to make is he is the when i say biggest sort of most famous i suppose most charismatic most he has the most presence of all of those young cast members I actually wouldn't give you tuppence for any of the others. Oh, Jenna Ortega I thought was great. Oh, well, she's the girl who, who survives at the beginning, yeah, yeah? yeah? So the youngest sister. Right, yeah. okay, fine. But even Thaisa, you know, not really not that bothered. Yeah. And then it turns out that he is actually one of the killers. And so then it's like, oh, well, hang on a second. So you did... So your star is one of the main roles. Well, I think that's on purpose, isn't it? Because you're like, oh, he's going to survive. We know there's yeah, a new yeah. cast. And I really thought the twins were going to die. And I thought, oh, they've got potential to... I love, um, what's her name? Uh, I've got to, I forget her name. Melissa Barrera, the lead? Uh, not, I do love her. Um, you said her name, Jasmine Savoy-Brown? Yes. Because she's in The Leftovers. And she's, yes, that's she's right. She's very, very brief in The Leftovers, but she's fantastic. And she's in Yellow Jackets. And Yes, she is. Which, yeah. Which, yeah. And I thought that was, a, that was nice to see them survive, but she's clearly going to be the film nerd. But back to that YouTube moment. Yeah. In that moment, there is a little Easter egg where off to the side of the screen it says, um, you know, Survivor from Woodsboro Murders. And it's Hayden, what's her name? Hayden Panettiere. Oh, Panettier. yeah, yeah. Panettiere. Panettiere. Yeah. So she plays Kirby in the fourth one. <gasps> Huge fan favourite. She gets stabbed and, and supposedly is killed, but we don't see her die, which is always the big thing. And so... The creators of this said, well, we know that she's a huge fan favourite. We want to bring her back. We didn't have a story for her this time. And so they popped this little Easter egg in there. Oh, right. so come back. Um, Good Lord. And where they've done that in a, in a reversed fashion is with the Marley Shelton. Is that her name? Marley Shelton character. Mm. Um, so she's she's the one of the deputies in the fourth film, yeah. sort of a foil for Gail Weathers. And you yes. think that maybe she's the murderer. And they bring her back in this movie. And I guess to weave back to that yeah. the incredible sequence with the house. and yes. how. Yes. You know, he's in the shower like Psycho. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then she gets killed outside in yes. this kind of shocking scene. Yeah, he dies as well. Like yes. just that whole. Sequence. But there's like eight fakeouts before he dies. Yeah, and, um, and that incredible um, stab through the lip. Oh yeah, just really. The slow, um, is it a slow stab through the yeah through the, the, through the when, when he's yeah. at the front door and yeah and you're looking at the prosthetics oh. and going holy mackerel yeah. <laughs> just, just as an this is a complete aside but um, one of the things that is I think really going to age poorly about this whole era of filmmaking is the limitations of COVID and um, 
you know, we saw Moonfall the other day, and we we're like, they can make a Moonfalling look more realistic than three people in a car because they're shooting all this stuff in controlled green screen kind of spaces. And mm. there's so many. If you look at the Woodsboro and the first one, there's just the extras and the movement. There's just a bit more naturalism. Where here they've clearly like had to stack up stuff in post to make it look oh, like there's six I, I people notice. in the same space, and oh. you know hospitals are really weirdly underpopulated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and it is just, there's this kind of, um, and I noticed it in lots of productions. I noticed it when we watched episode one of uh, Reacher mm. on Amazon just now. You know, there's this whole kind of, we can't have a bunch of extras. It's too risky. Um, the Spider-Man No Way Home director was talking about how every time you see people walking down the street and six or seven people walk by them, it's actually a really complicated effect shot with five layers mm. of just a simple, like, Ten people walking down mm, the street, but just, to make it look natural. Yeah, just to make it look like not that, a video. That, yeah, 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 that it's they're not living in the aftertimes. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it was just. But I mean, it also calls attention to just how well done those visual effects are, and how you know when you get those yeah those true effects. I talk about visual visuals, not necessarily effects, but how well they've done they are. And I'm glad that we did the spoiler. You mentioned earlier about, you know, this is a spoiler, but I don't know if you know in your opening, you mentioned that the film takes place in Billy Loomis's house, which for me was, that that would be a, that's quite a big spoiler because that was such oh, a yeah, big, yeah. big oh, yeah, surprise. Oh, yeah, they only discover it, yeah. Um, because that, that blew my mind because you, you're in this party mm. and the way they're Wait, filming it. Wait, it's not it, Billy Loomis's house. It's the other, it's, it's Matthew Lillard's house. Oh, is it? Yes, um, that oh, character. Oh, whoever, whoever's oh, house it is. Yeah. We did the spoiler. We did the spoiler thing before you yeah. said that, so it's all good. But um, I, I just maybe that me, was a red herring duck. Yeah. Maybe that you were subverting <laughs> our expect. No, okay. Anyway, sorry, Jeremy. I just, we we're in this house. We're in this party, and it's yeah. been yeah. filmed in a way that you don't realize it's the house. Yes. And in the moment that wonderful craning or turning shot yeah, yeah. happens and you realise that and they're in the house. And suddenly it starts fit going from all the original camera angles. It's so clever. Yeah. It's so clever. And then there's that great moment where um, uh, what's again? I've forgotten her name. She's got a wonderful name. Yeah, Jasmine Savoy Brown. Jasmine Savoy Brown. She's sitting on the sofa stab one, where Randy used to sit and watching and the film. And if you think about it, the original the original scene mm. is Randy watching Halloween. Yes. And yes. he says, um, what does he say? He says, Jamie, turn around, which of course, as the actor, that's his name as well. Yeah, so that's right. Jamie, 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 turn Kennedy, around, yeah. Jamie, turn around. Um, and then this this other film, which is her doing it, but it's none of the original stuff from the original. It's all, you know, it's the stab movie, and it's it's. Um, but it's the Jasmine. same room, yeah, same yeah. house. It's so clever. Same basement door behind her, where the person comes back from. Yeah. Yes. So so clever, and you know, turn around, turn around, and of course she finally realizes and turns around, and yes, and um. But you know, that's interesting, isn't away. it? You're right because um. So there's, there are so yeah. many double crosses, aren't there? So many red herrings. But when the two girls, including that Jasmine Savoy Brown and the mm -hmm. ultimate killer, they go down into the basement and you don't realise until later that's the basement in which Rose McGowan died in number one. Which, by the way, the, the, that always annoys me about, not annoys me, but I always laugh about that in the first one. How does that work with the... If you think about the house and scream, so you go down these stairs and the yeah. garage, is it just a huge... Gap at the back of the house I think, where the cars I think drive around. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, this, this is actually yeah probably where they actually have dug out um, a sub basement slash garage on the side. Yeah, so that the cars just pull up the driveway and go onto the side. Nonetheless, it's still I always. If you, you think about you think about where that in terms of scream, 
there's this long kind of yeah. country road. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. like, what are they driving it's around? It's a badly designed... It doesn't make sense. Badly designed <laughs> property, Jeremy. And I will just say, since we mentioned that, that I, that, I mean, that was a terribly clever death in Scream 1, but it did always drive me nuts in a continuity way, and I don't know if you recall, but the shot of her from behind, from within the garage, and she's through the, the cat door, or the animal door, she's actually further through in one shot than she is when the camera's looking at her from the other shot. Do you get yeah. what I mean? Yeah. There's an in, there's an inconsistency there as to how much of her front half, her, her top half is through that gap. And uh, so for me, that makes the whole film implausible. Um, and that's the <laughs> only thing that well, makes okay. this film unbelievable. Let's talk about this. So I went, um, <laughs> my boyfriend is not a fan of horrors. He, he loves his... Um, Pixar's and his, his right. feel-good movies, mm. and he, we would, we've been talking a lot about psychoanalyzing when when he gave up on horrors, and it was probably various mm. horror films he saw as a kid. But he decided to come with me to see this new Scream film, having never seen any Scream movies. Right. And he, we watched one of those summary videos yeah. to get him up to speed. I actually told him the entire plot in about five minutes. But he and hadn't even watched... seen number one. No, but we watched this summary video. Yeah. It was effectively exactly what I just said. Um, which was good good times. Um, and so we went along and watched it, and the payoff was that I would watch a film with him that he wanted to watch, which we did. Um, but what, what film? Clifford the Big Red Dog. Oh, <laughs> my and God! Was it? It, it was fine. Um, <laughs> which, side note, Jack Whitehall's in that film doing an American accent, oh. playing the brother of the main little girl's mother, and she has a British accent. So when the mother's introduced and they're talking about their, their dropkick uncle, I was like... Well, clearly she's British to for make sure because sake. Jack caught, but he has a weird American accent. Well, there you go. Anyways, um, <laughs> so we went and saw Scream. We watched it. Uh, I had a great time. And uh, my boyfriend, who's a doctor, said, well, this is just the amount of stabs. You would be in shock in minutes. And like his thing was that all of the stabs were so implausible. <laughs> and all the stab wounds to stomachs, right? Yeah, they would have bled out. Be only no... yeah, yeah, yeah. the shock, I think he said. You'd right. be in shock. So, mm. I suppose because from the bleeding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's the only thing. That makes <laughs> the Scream movies unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. Right. Well, let's finish off with some final thoughts. So, um, Doug, I might hand it to you first. Sure. Um, look, it was really nice to see one of these in the big screen again, actually, and, and kind of go back into that, you know, the wearing a mask and everything notwithstanding and giving you another layer of meta-ness. I don't know that I need a whole new trilogy of them, but I do wonder, like, at this point in 2022, like, are we just so embedded in old IP that we're not going to be able to get back to a place of innocence where new IP can mean as much to us mm. so um if we're just stuck with the old ip of the past coming back and i say this is somebody who just watched jackass forever earlier this week another film about a uh, 90s moral panic that has now become feel-good entertainment for middle-aged people <laughs> um and and sets up a next generation as well um there's worse you can do hmm Nice. Sarah, what are your thoughts? Final thoughts? I still think they're clever, and I'm really glad of that. And there was, even if I didn't adore the cast of Scream 5, if you'll forgive me, Scream 5 um, particularly, I, d I don't think that they're a, a strong group of young people. Well, I don't even know. I mean, so what, Sarah? It doesn't matter, does it? If half of them are going to die, it doesn't matter. But anyway, <laughs> but point being, even if I didn't love that, I still really appreciated the talk around um, franchises, the, the notion of a requel and all that sort of thing. Um, I still found it frightening enough. Um, 
gave me the horrors and all that sort of thing. And there was that healthy dose of nostalgia as well. Um, so yeah, fully enjoyed it. Think that there are two very interesting films to compare and to track. I mean, mm. you know, what are we, 25, yeah, 25 years effectively. Um, I'm sure there'll be more screams and I just really hope that they, I think for as long as they continue to employ fresh directors now, because sadly Wes is gone and you'll have noticed, obviously this one was dedicated to him. In the um, font from the original. Nice. And the fact that these two directors brought us uh, Ready or Not, which is a terrific um, house horror film. Then as long as they continue to have clever people doing meta things, then I think that this, um, maybe we all get to scream eight in a gold mask. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I, I agree with both of you. And, and, you know, Doug, you're mentioning about, you know, original IP. And that's something that comes up a lot, particularly when we talk about Marvel movies and mm. the state of cinema and, and how it seems to be so obsessed with nostalgia and, and sequel mining, which, you know, I love sequels, but I do think that there is a difference to where we are now compared to where we were 25 years ago. Mm. And that it's an interesting point at the end of the film, of course, the Babadook gets name-checked again, and this whole elevated horror is all about sort of having a brand where original movies are coming through, and, and the extent to which Scream can some, probably never actually become an elevated horror is that it's so mired in its own kind of style of filmmaking. Like, you, can't, you couldn't really push it into looking like something like The Lighthouse or Midsummer and have it still feel like a scream movie. But you don't so, need it to, right? It's not what we want. It's not what we're going for. I, so, yeah, but it's just that question of if elevated horror has its own rules, is there a version of this of scream franchise that could be elevated horror? Well, that and yet would be still, wouldn't still that be an interesting that, that would be an interesting thing. Someone, someone give Ari Aster a call. That's right. <laughs> I mean, if they could pull it off, I, I, if they can pull it off, I'd I'm like there to see it. what they do. Yeah, yeah. but I guess <laughs> it's to the point that kind of to a serumate as well around the cast and. I think for me, I, I'm pretty forgiving of some of those things because as long as they kind of hit the right beats, it's like a Pirates of the Caribbean film. They had to really stuff it up for me to not enjoy it, yeah. which yeah. was that fifth one. But I was still there for the other three or whatever it was for. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I loved the fifth one. I've Even the third one that is, doesn't work for me, I still get some enjoyment from what they're trying to do. Mm. And this film has been... Uh, hugely successful at the box office. It's been the most successful since the third one, and I think it's potentially even looking like it's going to eclipse, eclipse some of those earlier films. Which and in so, the COVID times, is doubly impressive. Yeah, true. And and they're they're already green light. They've greenlit the sixth film with the same creative team. So I'm I'm all for it. I'll keep going as long as they don't royal, royally screw it up. I'll be there paying my ticket and having a great time. Mm. Um, and just don't take Josh. Yeah, don't. Well, we'll see. He might, you know, he might be all for it now that he knows what what happened. Maybe you can have one. him on the podcast next time to give a, a, a trauma perspective. Yeah. On. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook. Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, no order mine!